Dustin DeVries is a business owner who went through a life-changing event that put his business and its people to the test. In this episode, Dustin shares his personal struggle through that adversity and how it shaped the way he leads his business. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. You see, we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm joined today by co-host and co-author, Frank Dana. Frank, nice bow tie. How's it going? Hey, Jeff, for those of you that can't see me but are listening, I'm currently wearing a bow tie. It's very dapper. Each episode, Frank, we dive into one element of business strategy, and test our theory of love against it. And today's guest started his own consulting business and technology eight years ago and has been thriving ever since. And aside from his success and his business, I also invited him on the show today to share a little bit about some personal adversities that he had to overcome, things that affected his life, his health, his business, et cetera. I really appreciate you joining us. Welcome to the show, Dustin DeVries. Dustin, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dustin, we do... Um, icebreakers here. They're as awkward as they sound, but I make Frank go first and you'll get what? the same question. So you have time. Today's icebreaker question is what's your favorite scent and what does it remind you of? Great question. I actually have it here with me. So in the fall, every, every time that fall kind of happens upon us, which it seems like it's getting earlier and earlier in the year. So just after March, when the fall scents come out, I'm kidding. Um, there's this like, this like scented brooms. They're like cinnamon brooms. If you've ever seen them or if walked into any grocery store or any, I guess like Michael's or anything like that, you'll smell these little, I got a mini one here because every once in a while I'll waft it because I really like the smell of cinnamon and kind of the, for whatever reason, it always makes me feel comfortable and comforted. And so Every fall, we buy a few of these different brooms and strategically place them through the house. So as I'm walking out the door in the morning, I smell it. And it and then when I'm walking back in the door from, you know, driving to get the groceries, not going to work because I'm working at home, I'm able to, it, it kind of like ushers me back into the home and um, I really like the scent. And so it's just become a tradition and I really appreciate it. And it makes me feel happy. Well, if you're watching the video version, he held it up. And if you're also watching the video version, you're seeing my face judging him silently. Very judgy, but I have an answer. Good it answer. Smells, it smells so good. No judgment. That's wonderful. Dustin, same question. What's your favorite scent and what does it remind you of? How do I follow up that answer? I mean, it's like, I think Frank got the question ahead of time. Um, <laughs> for me, I would say, you know, there's different, a few different ways to answer this, right? But I'm going to go with fresh cut grass. Ooh. love the smell of fresh cut grass that doesn't mean that like if my wife happens to watch the show that she needs to find fresh cut grass perfume <laughs> that'd be a little different but there's scented candles scented candles you know I, I started to go with that I, you know that, that's okay but she's actually allergic to them so we don't mm. really have those very often in the house but i like the smell of fresh cut grass it reminds me of you know the the spring the summer and uh before it gets too hot here in texas so right. i'll go with that nice I like it. Listen, I want to jump into this. Dustin, I actually want you to take the stage first um, and just kind of open-ended kind of start. Tell us 
your story. Like, just tell us not, not the whole thing in them, but just start us off. Who's Dustin, and and how'd you get here? Okay, sure. So my name is Dustin DeVries. I'm a, a co-founder of our company, Caffeine Interactive. Uh, we build software, uh, everything from uh, websites to web and mobile based apps. Um, been doing this since 2013 is kind of when we put the stake in the ground of uh, starting our business. Before that, I was doing uh, some freelance consulting. And before that, kind of 2000 through 2010, uh, I was working in the semiconductor industry. Um, so I've been working professionally for about 25 years. Um, you know, during that experience, gone through a lot of great things with starting my own business, uh, meeting some great people, working with some great people. Uh, you know, one of the challenges I had was back in 2018, I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, went through a lot of challenges with that. Um, happy to say that I'm not quote unquote cancer free, but I've, have, uh, persevered through that. I'm sure we'll probably spend a little time talking on that, but you know, just, uh, there's that have two wonderful kids, uh, that we, uh, adopted, uh, about 10 years ago um and just yeah living the dream here in beautiful dripping springs texas outside of austin i love it i love it tell me a little bit more about caffeine interactive tell me like um kind of i know you gave the high level but what's your what's your passion that comes through that business you know it's really i think just working with people i don't want to you know it's always hard to answer these questions without sounding like too cliche but i think it really is working with people helping them solve their problems and i think especially we we work with a lot of uh uh small businesses and startups and so a lot of times they're wearing a bunch of different hats uh they may not be very technical we work with people say in like the oil and gas industry where yeah they've embraced technology but they're usually you know dealing with things related to to petroleum and energy and things like that and so being able to take something like helping them build a website, helping them automate their business or do something like that and being able to break it down in a way that they can understand, kind of breaking it down in layman's terms and not just geeking out. I mean, I do have a tendency because my background is in software development. Uh, I went to uh, Texas A&M uh, back in the late 90s, graduated with a computer engineering degree. So, you know, I can do some of the geek speak, but I, I really enjoy trying to break things down in a way that people people understand. Um, and I. I I think that gets into kind of that customer commitment that we that we try to portray within our business. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one, you know, for those who follow the show, but I'll just say it out loud here. One of the things we try to do on, on Love as a Business Strategy here is bring a, a wide variety and diversity of guests and conversations to the table. And and we've 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 talked we talk to like experts, academics, and everything. And what we've learned is that. You know, it's not really about the pedigree, the background or anything like that. What we're always looking for is stories. And I think people's stories really connect us. And then we tie that. There's always a connection back to whatever we do for a living, um, our workplaces and things like that. Dustin, I know that um, you mentioned the their situation with cancer. Um, I know that's a big part of your story. I wonder if you can, if you're willing to give a little more detail around that. Um, just how that just how that affected you personally? Yeah, sure. So it was, you know, it's crazy because I've never had health issues, been a relatively healthy person other than, you know, like average person, struggled with weight from time to time, which I've lived a little healthier lifestyle, but never been in a hospital, you know, never any kind of any serious health issues whatsoever. Um, and then it was back in, I guess, the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I just started having some weird pains. I started losing some weight. Just like what is going on and um actually the weight loss i thought you know attributed to i was going for walks every day i was trying to eat a little bit healthier 
do some things like that. But then I started having just these weird cramps and weird sensations and, and, uh, just sort of brought me to this point where, you know, I had to go to the doctor cause I couldn't walk more than a mile or two before I'd have to go sit down. And it's like, okay, something's not right. And I wasn't usually the type to go run into the doctor run in the hospital when things go wrong. Um, I kind of have this mentality. It's kind of like taking, I would use this analogy, like taking your car in uh, to get a tune up or to get an oil change. I always find something else wrong with it. I always worried about that. Like didn't want to go to the doctor. So kind of shied away from all that. Right. And so um, finally I decided, yeah, this is really bad. Like something's going on and I can't function. I've got to, I got to go on. Same time, you know, I'm running my business. We have about, uh, you know, close to 20 employees. Uh, we're a small business. So, you know, I'm intimately involved in all of our projects with all of our customers, intimately involved in all of, all of our employees in terms of you know the work we're doing i'm not detached sitting on my perch while everyone else does everything you know it's like very involved with everything so all this is going on it's like it's never a convenient time to get cancer right but i mean uh certainly not when you're trying to run a business and so and my wife is uh the co-founder so uh you know we're both basically running this business and so i go in start doing some tests find out um after a month or two thinking it was like some kind of gi issue something related to that finally went and got an ultrasound and found this mass that was in my body. I mean, it was embarrassingly large. It was like 20 something centimeters in size, like the size of a football, essentially. It's like, holy crap, wow. like how does this even fit in my body? I'm not a small guy, but like still, it's like, what is going on? Found out it was wrapped around my aorta. Um, and the initial thought was that it was probably going to be a sarcoma, which is not a, not a good kind of cancer to get. Um, so I spent about a month digesting that, freaking out, uh, us changing, you know, we were prepared. We live in, as I mentioned, beginning, we live in Austin, but you know, Houston is a great place for, uh, uh, anything dealing like this MD Anderson, which is a great cancer center. We went down MD Anderson's thought, yeah, this is really, this isn't just like, you know, stage one, let's go work through a few things and maybe graduate up to the, the big cancer center. So we went down to Houston and uh started getting tests got it biopsy and everything else actually found out the good news and all this it wasn't a sarcoma it actually ended up being uh testicular cancer it, it uh had metastasized into my retroperitoneal lymph nodes and had ballooned and these things do happen getting that large is a little bit uncommon for sure but uh i'm not the only one who's ever experienced something like this so fortunately i went through um fortunately or un unfortunately went through uh four rounds of chemotherapy uh there in in houston uh that was obviously brutal really you know very difficult to to work i, I tried to work because i needed that sanity i needed that regularity to my day um but went through all of that came out the other side when i was done with chemo the the mass had gone from 20 something centimeters down to i think like six centimeters and basically they said it will keep shrinking over time uh i think my last checkups that was in 2018 like September of 2018 is when I finished up chemo. Um, last checkup I had was in 2020, and I think the mass was now under three centimeters. It's all scar tissue. So, you know, basically the thought is I am cancer-free. They can't, quote-unquote, say cancer-free until it's been at least five years. Size is still a little bit of a concern because there is this residual mass. But when you're starting at 20-something centimeters, there's going to be some scar tissue. And that's pretty much expected that, you know, it, I would have some kind of scar tissue mass that would, would be about this size. And it'll continue to shrink slowly over time. But... But so I'm cancer free now. I don't have a lot of side effects from that other than I have some neuropathy that I deal with. Um, certainly a lot of blessings that came out of it. I think anyone has ever been through that and been able to get through to the other side and, and survive it 
and be able to reflect back on it, um, you know, walks away from that with something, right? You have some tangible value that, you know, silver lining, whatever you want to call it, that, that comes from that. And I, I certainly feel that way. And it's changed the way I reflect on life, the way I run my business, the way I work with my team. It, it was, you know, somewhat of a uh, life-changing experience, if you will. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. That's, that's definitely um, an incredible story. And I'm, I'm happy that you're, you know, from, from what it sounds like on the other side of it and kind of just moving forward. Um, how, how did that impact your, your, your workplace in regards to having a, a 20 or so employee team, um, your wife also being the co-founder. So this is interconnected in ways that most organizations aren't uh, when it comes to dealing with a medical crisis and having to go through that process. What type of culture did you, did the organization have um, in order to kind of sustain the the business as you were going through this or the relationships that you were building with clients? That's a good question. And I think that one of the things I'm, I'm happy about, I'm proud of that I did when we entered this chapter of, of my life, of, of our life, because, you know, my wife is very much involved. In fact, I sometimes joke that I almost feel like the, the main support person, the spouse or whoever it is, sometimes has it even worse because they're suffering dealing with all this and they're having to usually run point on things because right. the other person's unable. So, um, but, you know, what I'm, what I'm proud of, uh, one of the things I'm proud of uh, going into that whole experience was that I'd always treated relationships and the way I deal with people, you know, I, I hate feeling indebted to someone to the extent that like, and you know, it's a little bit of a tangent, but like going and borrowing a ladder from a neighbor, like I'd rather go down to like home people and rent one or something, you know, just because I don't want to put anyone out. I don't want to feel indebted to people. And that's almost to a fault. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but I think because of that, I've always tried. And then, you know, I kind of couple that with like, uh, Stephen Covey wrote a, book you know seven habits of highly effective people right and i don't remember the seven habits i don't have them memorized but one of the things i do remember from that was the whole idea behind an emotional bank account where you mm. make investments and then you know you're able to make a withdrawal and not be overdrawn and so i've always kind of approached all my relationships that way it doesn't mean i'm always trying to give people things and make them feel like they're indebted to me you know it's not that but it's always making sure that my my ledgers are in the black so to speak right i'm always you know i'm not overdrawn with anyone. And if I am, you know, I'm doing something to fix it or, or whatever the case may be. So I think we always try to treat our employees pretty fairly customers as well. Always trying to go above and beyond, uh, you know, uh, under promise over deliver kind of thing, you know, just always managing that so that when we went into this period where it was like for a few months, not really sure what was going to happen. Everybody was more than happy to come out and and help and be be supportive and uh you know also really changed my mindset from a personal perspective just because i think that you know, i'm sometimes a little bit cynical about things and you know my wife tells me i'm really cynical i think i'm more of a realist but you know probably somewhere in between those two those two truths but like just realizing just how good people really are especially in this day and age where everything is so politically polarized charged yeah. and polarized and we all just tend to sit there and think that you know, we look at ourselves and we think everyone else is crazy. And it's like, you know, I just, I realized that really recalibrated my thoughts with people and thinking, you know what, people are generally good. 
the average person is a good person who cares about others and wants to do the right thing. And it was really cool just seeing how many people wanted to help, how many people wanted to be a part of it, not because they wanted to like have something, have some pellet they could add to their, you know, whatever, right, to their belt. But like uh, they actually generally, genuinely cared, you know, and I think that's something that I try to put myself in that situation as an outsider and having a friend going through any kind of medical crisis or anything like that, any kind of tragedy thinking that, you know, I was always a little bit more hands-off maybe at times with, with people that were hurting, or maybe it was, it's better to be more forthcoming, not bugging them and harassing them, but, you know, not just being standoffish, being like, oh, you've got something big going on. You don't want to hear from me. You don't want to deal with me. So there's, you know, so many different things that came out of that, that really changed my worldview and my perspective. Do you think that your like, kind of the pre pre-cancer Dustin when you were building this organization, this business from 2013 to 2017, were you thinking about work-life integration or work-life balance as being a little bit more structured, more rigid um, in terms of how you were building the organization? And did that change after that? Or do you feel like you had had built this consistency around how to view you know, work-life integration and balance? So I think I was already thinking about work-life balance because I remember... You know, we've we've gone through some other challenges in our personal life. You know, we went through uh, mentioned that we have two kids that we we adopted. We adopted through through foster care. This is back in like 2010, 2011. And there are some challenges related to that, some challenges of our own, just dealing with, you know, when you go into that arena, the type of things you experience, the stories you hear, not necessarily about our kids, but just in general. And so there was a lot of that. I guess going on. And so I feel like when it comes to like work-life balance, it was something that was kind of already on my mind. Mm. Like when I left, um, when I left the semiconductor industry and started out on my own, a lot, a lot of that was for that reason to acquire work-life balance. We were also dealing with infertility issues, which <laughs> surprise, surprise, maybe somehow is related to my diagnosis years later. Right. But we were going through that. And so we, a lot of just sadness you know every time we'd hear about a, another friend another couple having a baby you know it's like happy for them but then sad for us and it's like so when i was able to pull away from the nine to five grind uh in the semiconductor industry and be able to have a little more flexibility in my work life um to be able to handle the things i need to but be able to put attention into my wife and then as well you know into our relationship and then when we uh brought kids into our home um, and then, you know, adopted them a year later, you know, they, they had some, some needs as well. So there was definitely this desire to like distribute out my time a little bit better, be more on top of things so that when I am in the office, I'm being productive and I'm giving it my all. And then when I'm not, I'm able to devote to these other buckets that are important yeah. in life. So it was there. I mean, I will say that it probably, you know, recalibrated after cancer again, because right realized, okay, well, there's things I want to do, things I want to accomplish, and life is short, and maybe I feel a little bit like I'm living on borrowed time, you know, because I survived this, so, like, let's make the best of it, and so there, yeah. there was after cancer as well. You know, these these kind of events in life, as you already mentioned, really, really change our perspective, and appreciate you sharing the story today, because I think not all of us have had the, you know, benefit or curse of, you know, these types of things happening to us ourselves. Um, but I think I, I'm really, I'm curious if you can articulate kind of um, more specifically what changes 
in perspective you've had, or maybe examples of of where you really see things differently now um, after having gone through this? How does the world, what are the, some of the different perspectives that actually apply now? Uh, you know, definitely taking things less seriously, taking certain things less seriously, maybe other things more seriously, you know, my time with my family, um, being present as a father, as a husband. And, you know, I don't, I don't do these things well. Um, I think I could do a better job, but uh, they're at least, you know, they're things I, I do work on. So I think there's that, that perspective and definitely just having more patience with, with people, you know, even things like now, you know, going through COVID and all this, we've got employees that are taking off to go get vaccinated, go get a booster shot, you know, and like we're before I maybe didn't really think about now I'm like, well, you know, like if you need to take some extra time off, like obviously that's totally fine. And don't, let's not worry about PTO on this sort of thing, giving some flexibility there and stuff like that. We even considered for a while um, moving to like a, a, you know, a structure within our business of kind of the, the, what do they call it? Bottomless PTO or, you know, not having any unlimited, allocation. Yeah, unlimited. unlimited. Yeah. Unlimited. Um, going with a model like that, just some legal aspects of it. We opted against that, but it's just something I've thought about with, with our employees, like being compassionate to them. And like when somebody has some kind of personal uh, issue that comes up and somebody's sick or somebody's in the hospital or whatever else, just trying to be aware of that and not just be so structured, like, okay, when are you going to be back? Okay. We need to fill, you know, all the logistics around how are we going to cover for so-and-so, but just maybe saying like, Hey, if you need some time, just, just take it. Don't worry about the PTO. Don't worry about all this stuff. And it doesn't mean we don't, track PTO at all we, we still do but that's you know, one of those things I just feel like and, I, and it goes back to that that whole emotional bank account thing of like just giving to people being you know it's, it's not really that big of a thing to tell someone oh don't worry about putting in PTO because you're going to take half a day because you're feeling bad after your COVID booster it doesn't it's not a big impact to us as a company but to them you know knowing that we care and being able to to, to do that sort of thing I think is, is huge because at the end of the day, you know, we care about, I think as employees and as owners and whoever, whatever your role is, you, know, you, you certainly care about the financial aspects of everything you do, but there's so many other intangibles that are just as important, if not more important to your happiness and success in your job than, than just, you know, what kind of paycheck you're bringing home each week. And I think that's something that we really tried to focus on more, but our, you know, our team is distributed. We have a, a, development team over in the Philippines, another development team down in South America. Um, you know, so we don't have, and I, this is a challenge for everybody these days because everybody, most people are working remote, especially in high tech, but um, you know, so it, it's difficult to build that culture the way you can when you're all, you know, in the same office, but we've tried to nonetheless. Yeah. For me, it's interesting. I mean, hearing about the approach that like, it, it sounds like your, your company is truly driven by empathy and, and sort of motivated by empathy. At least that's how it sounds as an outsider looking in is mm -hmm. that there's this very empathetic understanding of, you know, not just feeling what someone else is feeling, but being willing to, to support in a way um, that allows them to see the compassion behind it, that it's not, yeah. Hey, I need you to recognize that the six hours I'm giving you today, you're gonna have to pay that back on Saturday, right? Like that's not what's mm -hmm. happening here. Um, and the value of that is that everything on your balance sheet, all of the finances, the business outcomes, all of what you're trying to do, ultimately payroll at all, all those numbers 
equate to a person. And so if we're taking care of the people, the bottom line is taken care of, right? So creating, yeah. creating a, an environment and an ecosystem where people feel like they belong, mm -hmm. like they're included, like there is real compassion, you're going to see performance improve. You're going to see individuals care and be willing to show up and sometimes even put in additional effort when necessary, when they know they have to support others. And, and that's something that's true for us. I'm wondering, is that something that you have also seen in regards to the, the outcomes from operating from a place of empathy? Without a doubt. And I think the challenge though, is to make it authentic because it is, it does come from an authentic place, right? right. I think as a small company, it's much easier for us to do because I'm talking to every single one of our employees on a daily basis and I know what's going on. And, you know, we're constantly in contact with each other. When you get to be a larger organization, obviously that's a real challenge. You start systematizing a lot of the stuff, right? Yes, <laughs> and yeah. that's where it comes out as maybe not as genuine. And I don't know that all, you know, sometimes you look at some of the things that go on, you know, sometimes I have my own doubts about certain brands. I'm like, do they, are they really empathetic? Are they really, you know, is it really about, they, they see some kind of financial benefit or maybe some other kind of benefit. But I think at the end of the day, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to, if someone's doing the right thing, you know, you can, you can always be judgmental about that. But, and that's not even my, my point in this is to go off and, and start criticizing things because I think that there's a lot of good that's going on in that, from that perspective as well. But definitely for us, I mean, leading with empathy and, and like just trying to do the right thing, not necessarily thinking about it from, I mean, it, it certainly crosses my mind, you know, and I think back to like some of the first customers we had and you have an opportunity to make a lot of money on one project or you have a lot of, you have an opportunity to build a nice relationship that's going to create a long-term relationship. And I've always tried to play the long ball from a business strategy perspective with our customers. Right. Um, and you know, there's probably some, you think like altruism and some of these sort of things, like it's probably some element of like, yeah, like back of my mind, something consciously or subconsciously is thinking, well, if I do this, it's going to benefit our company more. We're going to make more money, but I'm not trying to lead with that. You know, I'm really trying to check all that in and just say, let's do what's best for the employees, for our customers. Um, play that long ball because I think it will pay dividends down the road if we treat people the way we would want to be treated in the, in the same situation. So it goes for customers, it goes for employees, you know, it goes for, for everybody that, that we associate with our vendors, whoever it might be, just treating them, them fairly and uh, being respectful. And again, I think we have an unfair advantage being a smaller business than maybe larger companies do because we're able to do that you know, just more reactionary than as opposed to having some kind of system, you know, right. an it's SOP plugged in somewhere that we're pulling out and <laughs> using yeah. to figure out what do we do when someone says they have, when they're sick, okay, well, we go to section 3.1 and do that, you know, it's not like that, right? Well, on the flip side, um, I think as a small company, I think small companies that go through a situation where their top leader or their top leaders are both taken out by an event like this, typically have a very hard time of surviving or bouncing back from 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 that 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 event. So I'm curious what what behaviors um, or cultural aspects you might attribute your company's ability to survive that that period of time um, through that because it's not an easy time when you you know like you said you're able to talk to each person you're able to be the center point and the kind of leader within that space very easily when it's small, but at the same time, when you're taken out by something like this, 
Um, a lot of people are left without their leader and without that that you know guidance. How did your team stay resilient during that time? Well, you know, I mean, even though I said, uh, you know, it was kind of anti-systematizing empathy, right? Like we did systematize other aspects of our business. So, um, you know, doing things like coming up with standard operating procedures for the way we work. And so, you know, trying to get to where it's not just based on heroics. It's not just based on this person knows this and this other person knows that. And me as the owner, I'm the one who's shuffling everyone around, makes sure the right people in the right spot. Mm -hmm. So then if they're not, then nobody knows what to do. So there's putting the systems and processes in place, which definitely helped. But, you know, again, I think leaning on the team and being empathetic and supportive to the rest of the team really benefited us greatly because when I went down um, and my wife sort of went down as well through all this experience, right? Because right. We're, we're both kind of offline, you know, the people stepped up and, you know, the, the thing that I kind of joke about is like, that's the ultimate way to stress test your business, right? Is uh, take out the two founders and see what happens. And that's kind of, kind of what we did. And also, you know, I, I purposely wanted to say check done. There was a lot of things. I think when you're going through something like this, you know, if I would have had a different type of situation, you know, some people get cancer and they go through like massive surgery or they have something that's super debilitating and it, it goes on for years and years. And, you know, fortunately I wasn't that it was like a four month period, five month period where I was right. really the chemo was like three months, you know, and within that you have days where it's like, okay, I know I'm going to be out for like days seven through 12. Cause that's when things are the worst, but then the rest of the 21 day cycle, you know, I'm, I'm able to function somewhat. Um, and so I would, I was still getting online and, and still doing, you know, a decent amount of work just because I think for me, I needed that normalcy. You know, I think sometimes I think we all are maybe like that a little bit, you know, we're creatures of habit. We have our routine. Um, certainly I didn't want to jeopardize anything. You know, I didn't want to jeopardize my health and be this guy. It's like, I'm going to keep working, even though like, you know, I'm like going through all this, this craziness. I wanted to make sure I was healing and I did take my time when I needed to, but I, I needed that normalcy as well and to stay connected with people. So, you know, it really wasn't like just checked out for three months, but at the same time, I think we had built the right systems and the right processes and the right people. We put a lot of emphasis on making sure we hire the right people. And so because of that, you know, everyone was just super accommodating and, you know, we have a, a one particular uh, account manager slash project manager who has been almost like an executive leader within our team. And she really stepped up and just really drove things when, when we were out and, uh, you know, she's still with our, with our company today and, uh, really appreciate what she did during that period. And, but she's not the only one. There were others, business analysts on our team, the, the development team, uh, stepped up. Everybody, you know, really did step up. And I think it really goes back to just, you treat people well, then they're going to be you know, they're going to feel like they want to, they want to do the same law of reciprocity, right? Yeah. I think that's interesting. And it feels like, you know, in talking about this, there was also a sense of dropping kind of pride and ego and titles for the benefit of everyone, right. And making sure that there was this, this common care that was showcased across the organization of like, we're going to get what needs to be done, done, and we're going to do it whatever it takes, essentially. Um, and, I, and I think that's very interesting, like learning and hearing about this from you and sort of learning in real time. I can hear that there was this this approach towards kind of the reduction of the ego 
and the, 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 the necessity around uh, titles and there was more vulnerability around, hey, I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to empower other people. I'm ready to be empowered by other people. I'm ready to kind of create this, this, these more like tighter bonds of trust. Like all of these elements were at play. Um, at least that's how it sounds to me in order to be able to effectively do what needs to be done, even in that short period of time. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, you know, uh, to kind of respond to that, I mean, one of the things I, I think about, this is a management tactic I picked up, um, uh, not from a business, uh, context, but I apply it to business context. And that's the idea of the upside down pyramid management structure, where you think about the CEO, co-founder, whatever it may be at the top of the pyramid. And then, you know, at the bottom is all your individual contributors and you got layers of management in between there. And I've always tried to think of it more as being upside down. And it's, you know, I don't want to, don't want to sound like too gimmicky here. <laughs> like we're, you know, we have, we have our faults too. You know, we're not, we're certainly not a perfect company, but like, just thinking about as like with employees, the best thing you can do as a manager of a set of employees is to empower them to be their best. And I, you know, I truly believe that because I think that if um, you're having to, to pull them as opposed to, you know, enabling them, I think there's always an opportunity. There's a missed opportunity there. If, if you don't, if you don't approach things that way. And so I'm not, I'm just not that, that type, like I've always thought in an ideal world, like if we grow this business to a point that I can be like, you know, chairman of the board kind of thing and have an executive team and lean on them. Like, I, I don't, I don't do this necessarily because I want to be famous because I want to be powerful. Um, I think if, you know, you think about kind of the, the three things, kind of vices or whatever you want to call them, drive people, fame, uh, power or, or fortune. If, if I'm driven by anything, it's probably by the, by the financial side wanting to, but I don't, I don't care about like having power or feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm managing a company. I don't, you know, I think the, there's maybe a part of me when I first started business, like felt kind of cool. Like, yeah, I started my own business, kind of talking to people about it. I'm like so far beyond that. You know, I think to me, I just want to, to do well, serve our customers, build a company of good people, make some money in the pro in the process. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how some of these people do it that build these massive companies and they have no, uh, animate and what's the word and anonymity, I can't say it, you know, they don't, they're no longer anonymous, right? They, everyone knows who they are. Right. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know that I'm really that, that type of person. I would rather be able to, um, you know, of, of, I like not being front and center, I guess, you know, and that maybe that ties into ego. Maybe it has to do with just being, uh, you know, not big on those sort of things. I, I don't know what it is. I think one of the things that we see consistently in working with just humans in general, but especially in a business context is that your, your next, your next crisis is out there waiting for you. And, it's like, it's very easy, especially in good times to kind of be like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's keep the ball rolling. Let's increase profits. Let's do more and more and more. And, and we're not always, it's easy to look back at crises you've gone through and see kind of like, okay, what made it work? What didn't? And, and not enough of us are kind of saying, are we resilient now today? 
for the inevitable crisis, the inevitable thing that's going to hit us. And it can be anything. It can be cancer, but it could also just be economic downturn. It can be a competitor. It can be any, a lot of things, right? Um, And so I think these stories are important, Dustin. I think kind of hearing yours is, is important for people to continue having that perspective of how do I build resilience? in my in my team in my organizations because we are that's like one fact if you're in you know if you're in business you're going to hit a crisis at some point you're going to hit another crisis if you've already had one it's going to keep it's just this up and down of business it's just it's just the reality um and i think you know building you know all-star performing teams is one thing but is your team resilient is is a different one and I like, I like that you kind of value the values that you had coming into your your crisis just made it, you know, made it work. And I don't know if enough people have that, you know, that 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 um, perspective yet. So I really, I really hope people are taking that to heart and kind of seeing that their crisis can be around the corner. What would, how would your team react? How would your team bounce back? And come together in those times i think is an important question for people to ask yeah I, I couldn't agree more and i think the resilience thing is so important too because you're right things you know in our business things come in waves and um you know you've got the cyclical economy you got all kinds of other things going on too and i've always admired businesses that manage to show some level of constraint when um when things were really booming, you know, they would grow, they would, they would ride the wave, but they wouldn't go overboard with it. They would try to hold back a little bit, knowing that there may be something, you know, around the corner that they need to deal with. And that's just the, that's just the predictable things, right? Like we can kind of, sometimes the economy feels a bit unpredictable, but you know, in general, it goes through cycles and stuff like that. Right. And then there's these, all these unpredictable things like, uh, health issues or whatever the case may be so yeah i mean it's it's something i think it's good for everyone to think about just to be focused on like what happens you know uh you don't have to go overboard with it but just be thinking about that like what what would happen if we lost this person or this person was out for you know a certain period of time or whatever and um you know like i said i think i think we managed it pretty well i don't know that we were that forthright with it we weren't planning it that well ahead of time um but i think we did we a lot of the principles that would go into doing that we put into place so we realized that benefit when we went through this crisis and yeah i couldn't be more proud of my my team and the the people that supported me on the business side as well as everyone who supported me personally um the people who came out of the woodwork that i hadn't talked to for years who just sent me a quick text saying you know hey i'm praying for you i'm thinking about you or whatever the case may be so yeah i think that's just you know large extent you know life is about these relationships and and nurturing those relationships and trying to be a good person and then you know sometimes those things come back come back around to to help you absolutely i love it dustin i really appreciate you joining us today and and sharing that story uh i think it's something that that we can all relate to to what at one level or another and, and it impacts us at a human level so i really appreciate you taking the time to share that today oh no problem it was it was a pleasure to be here absolutely and uh 
to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I, I'll never stop plugging our book because Love is a Business Strategy. The book is still on Amazon, best-selling on Wall Street Journal, et cetera, et cetera. Please do check it out and subscribe and rate our podcast if you can. Tell a friend, et cetera. This was a great conversation. Dustin, once again, thank you for being here. Frank, thank you for joining me. And with that, I'll be signing off. 